two sides to every coin, two sides to every story. I could ask you to fight the desire to take a nap. And you could say, brother, just be interesting enough so I don't go to sleep. <clears throat> God also suffers from the same idiosyncrasy. He has a side to his story. And we tend to see things a little differently from our perspective. So let's try and join our perspective with his this afternoon <clears throat> and understand where he's coming from. And something that I would draw our attention to as being the attitude that it's all about. Because we all know that things can be done very differently with the right attitude. We had a son who tend to get a little upset when he was made to do his chores. And so <clears throat> my wife Carol, his mother, would tell him uh, to be joyful in, in his duties. And so if he didn't shape up the attitude and the face, she'd make him sing it. And so he would stomp around the house, joyful, joyful. He, uh, Sometimes, you know, the words just don't matter. <clears throat> it is really all about the attitude. And God certainly had a desire to impact our attitude. If you'll go with me to Hebrews chapter 1. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 1, verses very familiar to us. God had a plan. <clears throat> And it says, God, who in sundry times and in times past spoke to us in diverse manners, spoke to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken by his son, Jesus Christ, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by, also whom, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he hath by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. God wanted to communicate. And after so many attempts, and so many different ways, having been rejected by his creatures, he made this final onslaught by sending his son, <clears throat> the creator of the universe, who not only originally was the source of the power of creation. But he was a sustainer, and still is today, the sustainer of the universe. So it was an ongoing thing, an ongoing presence in the universe, Jesus Christ, God the Son. And yet God chose to reveal himself through him, and so Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. And the, and, the, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, so that he might say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. One Christ, one revelation, one God, one message. Now, you can choose to deny it. You can kick it around, try and make it be what you want it to be. Now, that matters. Truth is truth, and if we are to come to God, it will be on his terms. You can 
choose 25 other different gods to go to. It has nothing to do with this argument. If you are to come to the God revealed in the scriptures, in the Holy Bible, then you must do it on his terms. That's the only way the scripture works. You see, there's, <laughs> I understand that there are a whole lot of other belief systems out there. The enemy's been at it long enough, making stuff up. There was back when I was uh, in high school, there was this little Christian comedy group. Uh, <clears throat> they had this little thing they did with uh, the religion store. You know, you go in and you can buy a bag of religion. And they'd throw you, I don't know if you remember that. That was way back in, the, in them days when they had cassette players. And, <clears throat> and um, you know, um, basically the concept is what it has always been. If you want to make up your own religion, we, you know, we can package it up for you. Be, you know, throw in a little of this, a little of that. Whatever floats your boat, if that's what you're into. But if you want to come to the God of the Bible, you must do so the way the Bible prescribes, and that makes Jesus Christ absolute. He is it. You can't get around it. You can't try and get to God with some variation or some mix of Jesus Christ. It's all about him and his message. Once we get that out of the way, then we have to take a very close look at Jesus Christ and what he said. And this dude did not fool around. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> he was not willing to mollify, mediate, water down, or otherwise adapt his message to suit your particular lifestyle, trend, understanding, IQ level. None of that really factored into the equation. Here is the God, creator of the universe, come to man in the person of Jesus Christ. He's here for 30 years, and finally he breaks out on the scene and opens his mouth to deliver God's message to humanity. Now, obviously, it's been waiting. It's been behind the dam there for a while. God has wanted to get through and here is the first opportunity that Jesus Christ is just going to let it rip. And he's going to just let him have it. And this is what God wants you to know about his kingdom. Uh, he doesn't pull any punches, and the first thing out of his mouth is the most important, just as it usually is. Matthew, 25, uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. <clears throat> Seeing the multitudes went up unto the mountain when he was set, his disciples came unto him, he opened his mouth, and he taught them. Now, this is not an evangelistic message. Okay, we're not talking about gospel here. This is his disciples. He gets himself set, he calls his disciples, his disciples come to him, and he taught them. They didn't witness to them, they were already called, they were already saved. He is now telling them how they must live. This is kingdom message. This is how to live the Christian life, how to relate to God. And I have no clue. I know very few of you. Remember Max back when I was six years old and a couple of other phases here and there, but the rest of you, I have no clue. So trust me, nobody slipped me a note. I, I don't know what you're going through. And I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But if the Spirit is going to talk to you, he's going to take something from what you hear today, and he's going to nail you over the head with it, and that's fine. That's what it's all about, and I really appreciate the fact that you came so that that could happen. 
Okay, now what happens tomorrow if you decide to turn that off and you know, continue to ignore, that's, that's beyond me. Um, my interest is that this afternoon we would hear what Jesus is saying because um, the whole purpose was for it to change our lives. And like I said earlier, um, if you are willing to surrender, you're willing to submit, then there will be something different about you tomorrow. Um, otherwise, it was either ignored or disobeyed, one of the two. But if the Spirit does speak to you today, then tomorrow will be a different day for you. You will look at things from a different perspective. You will begin to make different choices, different decisions. And maybe it's glaringly obvious for you that your choices need to be different. I don't know. Maybe it's not so obvious. Maybe, you know, things have been going on pretty well. But there are a few refinements to be made, a few adjustments on the on the track, and I just love, finally, the technology is here to be able to use this as uh, an example um, about God's dealing with us. Most of us are now familiar with GPSs, and it is just so cool, I think, that no matter where you go off track, <clears throat> make a wrong turn, end up somewhere you're not supposed to be, all you got to do is reset that button, and it will tell you how to get back to where you want to be. And no matter where we wander from the Lord, and, and songwriter put it very aptly, um, you know, Lord prone to wander, I feel it. I, you know, I tend to do that. We tend to get off track, make a few wrong turns, wrong choices. But anytime we're willing, all we got to do is look back to him, place our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, and we're back on track. We're back to where we want to get with him. And so he says, look, <clears throat> here's the deal. If we're going to be in God's kingdom, we're going to understand what he wants from us. This is where it starts, and this is the foundation and the fundamental issue at hand. As we mentioned this morning, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because that's the only way to initiate it. A true working relationship with Jesus Christ is bankruptcy of spirit. Nothing to offer. James says, God resisteth the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Any relationship with God is going to have to start with our brokenness and our poverty and, and, uh, of spirit, the lack of pride. Because as I mentioned earlier, and once again, we're going we're gonna to get back to this a little bit in, in discerning these attitudes. Sin is the attack of evil against every part of our triune nature the most essential of which being the pride of the spirit. <clears throat> it's a pride of life. It is our spirit going to war against God's spirit. It's our will going to war against his will. It's our will wanting at least equal recognition. And God says, I'm, I, I'm sorry, don't, <laughs> I don't work like that. Uh, if you want a relationship with me, you're a nothing. No bargaining power. Nothing to offer. Totally bankrupt. That I'll work with. Okay? That I can deal with. That I'm set up for. I have grace. I have mercy. I will reach out to where you are. I will pick you up. I'll place my spirit in you, and I will work mightily through you. But I am Jehovah, and I will not share my glory with anyone. And see, he's got it set up that way. He's got it rigged. You know? He's not looking for partners. He's not looking for, you know, 
people to share credit with is, look, if you understand your scum and have nothing to offer me, then great, I can work with that. I'll pick you up and I will work through you and I will be glorified in you. But don't expect to pop up somewhere sharing, hey, hey, don't forget about me. I, you know, I had something to do with that. I said, no, we can't work that way. In my kingdom, the only way it works is for me to be glorified. And for that, there has to be poor in spirit. Otherwise, it's going to be real frustrating, folks. You know, if we're waiting for accolades, we're waiting for pats on the back, we're waiting for recognition, achievement, you know, we're a mayor-based society. Right from the get-go, the moment we're born, it's all about achievement. You know, grades here, achievement here, trophies. I mean, they're even giving out trophies for losing. You know, I don't know what that's about, but I'm glad I didn't go through that because I would really be upset if, you know, after giving me the trophy for winning the tournament, you know, somebody else got one for just showing up. It just takes the whole point away. But anyway, be that as it may, if we are in the kingdom to be recognized, retributed, uh, eulogized for whatever, it's not going to work because we're going to get frustrated. We're going to get bothered. We're going to get offended. People aren't going to like the cheesecake we made or, you know, so-and-so is going to say something about the brownies or about the way I dressed or maybe even about the way I preached, you know, and then, and you know, that can sting. If we're in it for the recognition and for the adulation and for the, the merit and say, hey, don't forget me, you know, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to burn when we don't get it, and, and it's going to burn worse when somebody else gets it instead of us, and then there's going to be yada, 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 and then, you know, then we get people arguing about each other and offending each other, and we've got to go through the whole pardon thing, chapter 18, and we, you know, it's, it's just a real hassle if we are represented in any way in any of this. So he starts right out, the first message, look, kingdom is about this. You, poor in spirit. If you're there, we can go on. And all the remaining steps are fundamental to that. Then they begin to build <clears throat> the morning repentance for sin. And that can leave nothing but meekness because if you're broken in spirit and you are repentant of your condition before God, then you got no choice to be meek. There's no, you know, uppityness. There's no, hey, hey, whoa, you know. There's none of that going on. Because we got no place to bring that from. We have to be meek because we're broken, remember? And then we're repentant of, of, of our condition and we have no choice but to just meekly be willing to serve God. And, and, and that is going to bring me around to a hunger and a thirst for God's righteousness to be done and not mine because after all, being meek, I'm not looking out for myself. I want God's righteousness to be enacted. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. God's righteousness will be done now or later. Guaranteed, it's going to happen. And you'll be 100% satisfied because if that's all you're after, then there's no choice. God will be vindicated. And he will be shown to be righteous. And you can be on the winning team as long as you're not in it for a little bit of yourself. And uh, so he goes on to build. And as he brings us through, and I want to just rush us through the three chapters uh, to see the following. First of all, man's approach to God it has to be poor in spirit. Okay, we've covered that. Why? Because God, Christ is about to say, look, think of this. Remember 
You remember a timeline back in elementary school? You know, zero in the middle, negative, positive, okay. Um, he says, I want you to understand that, that you thought that you were being good because you didn't do sin negative one, sin negative two, sin negative three. You thought as long as your body wasn't, you know, carrying out those sins that you were pretty good. You were, you know, on zero. You were staying clean, keeping clean, keeping your nose out of trouble. So he says, I just, I just want to tell you something. While I'm here, you've heard it said that, it, that if uh, that man shall not commit adultery, well, I'm here to tell you that if you look at a woman just thinking about doing it, in my eyes, as far as God's concerned, as far as that number line is concerned, you done did it. <clears throat> so he says, I'm here to move the line. You thought zero was right here, where as long as you don't do these certain things, he said, no, no, I'm all about the heart. Remember what we mentioned before. So I'm all about the heart. I want to know what's in your heart. I don't really care about what happens, the fruit of that that comes later. I want you to know that I'm looking at the heart. And as long as you're thinking it, see, I moved the line. He says, gotcha. Okay? Zero's not over here. I, I just moved it. If you're thinking about it, you done did it. He moves on to chapter 6. He says, look. Another <clears throat> little bit of special news I have for you is all those nice things you thought you were doing, you know, on the positive side of the number line, he says, guess what? I moved it again. You see, you thought you had stored up a few good deeds, a few things of righteousness. You know, maybe checked into church, maybe, maybe even gave that homeless guy in the corner five bucks, you know, or all these things that you were doing that you thought was right. And he mentioned specifically, you know, prayer. If you do it to be heard by men, if you give your alms to be seen by men, you know, you do all these acts of righteousness thinking, hey, look, you know, I've, I've got some credit stored up with God. Look, I did some pretty cool things. And, and so God's, you know, got to be happy with me. Uh, Jesus Christ says in chapter 6, guess what? If you did any of that for the wrong reason, it's a wash. None of it's worth anything. So that's the way the kingdom of God works. Kingdom of God is about the heart. It's all about the attitude. You've got to please God in your heart, not just with the external aspects of your life, both in the negative factors and the works of unrighteousness that you may do. You have to walk with God in your heart, not just, you know, keeping a tight tide. Uh, Brother Julio was around here a little while ago. He'll test the attest to this, I uh, moved with my parents to Guatemala after when I was about 15, 16. I was just starting to kind of, you know, get used to public speaking and, 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 and preaching. And, and so one day, I, you know, I stepped up to the pulpit and preached. And after I started, a brother came up and gave me a little note that says, please button your top button. Apparently, I committed the, you know, uh, intrinsic sin of uh, stepping up to the platform with an open collar. And in the assemblies in Guatemala, you don't do that. That's, you know, you're not dressed appropriately if your top button isn't buttoned. And so they were very big on fulfilling certain idealistic avoidances of, of sin in their lives by these external appearances. And he says, look, Pharisees uh, do that, and it doesn't work. It doesn't please me. Uh, the fact that you avoid certain behaviors uh, just simply out of formality, says that's not righteousness. If you're thinking about it in your heart, I'm already marking it down. You know, it's, it's all on the number line. 
And then he flips it over and he says again on the other side, if you're doing all these nice churchy things and you're doing all, being really righteous and whatnot, if you're not doing it for the right reason, if you're not doing it to please God, if you're doing it only <clears throat> to be seen by man or to be, uh, you know, attributed some righteousness of your own, then it's worthless to me. I can't, I can't work with that. And so uh, maybe all this life, maybe you've even, uh, you know, been, been doing some major witnessing, evangelizing, street preaching, if it's, if it's just because the, you know, the elders told you to do it or because uh, you wanted, you know, your name up on the bulletin board as, you know, whatever the case may be. Maybe I've spent the last 30 years in Peru just, uh, you know, doing what I'm doing just to please because my mom always wanted me to, be, to, to do that then it's all wash. The only way it gets chalked up to God's glory in the kingdom is if I do it strictly to please my heavenly Father. And so after confronting his disciples with these two aspects, he says, avoid what is bad for the wrong reasons, doesn't work. Do what's good for the wrong reasons, still doesn't work. So, what attitude do we have to have? Lip service is useless. What matters is obedience. He comes to chapter 7, and he rounds out this message with this. And this morning we talked about the verse in Isaiah chapter 20, 29 and verse 13. This, this people has approaches me, worships me with their mouth and with their lips, and yet their heart, they have moved their heart far from me. And the, their fear of me is taught by the precepts of men. This is what he's dealing with. This is what Jesus Christ is counterindicating in the kingdom. He says that's not going to work. Lip service is useless. Body language is useless. What you do in, in, in your formalities and ceremonies and rituals is useless. If you came last Sunday to the breaking of bread service and sat there thinking about the chores you had to do when you went home and uh, see the Lord knows your heart. The rest of us may have looked at you and go, wow, you know, he's here early. He actually meditated for five minutes before the service started. Oh, you know, he's getting really spiritual. Look at him. He's got his eyes closed the whole time. You know? <laughs> uh, you might fake some of us, but you're not faking him. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows every second of every day. When I get up, there are days that, you know, I'm not looking forward to it. And sometimes I grump my way through a day, and, and, and you look at, at what my body is doing, and you're going, wow, man, that dude is really out there saving some people. And look at that little kid. He's helping out, and it's awesome. But, you know, on the inside, I'm, I'm just grinding it out. That day's worthless before the Lord. That's wood, hay, and stubble. Got nothing done that day for the kingdom because I did it with a grumpy heart. You see? And you can't work with that. I wasn't poor in spirit. I was grinding my teeth going, man, I really deserve my cup of coffee this morning and I couldn't freaking get a cup of coffee early in the morning just because, you know, and thank God for Keurig, right? And just punch it in and go. <laughs> and I, I love that little machine, you know. It's, it's, it's got my, it fuels my addiction so perfectly. <laughs> what? 
I'm talking about the, 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 the righteous addiction coffee, you know. I mean, Michael starts talking about cocaine. Yeah, everybody knows that's bad, but, you know, if you can't function without a cup of coffee in the morning, that's okay, it's okay. It's, it's a spiritually acceptable um, addiction to have. Anyway, <laughs> if anything we do is done out of our own motivation, with a wrong attitude, God just simply can't empower that. And the only thing that gets done in God's kingdom is that which the Spirit does. Nothing else. He's the only one that can really open the door to somebody's heart. He can, he's the only one that can get somebody through the narrow gate. He's the only one that can get somebody to pay attention. That's his job. John chapter 16. You know, and the, and, and the, the other comforter will come. And what is he going to do? He's not going to speak of himself. He's not going to take of his own. He's going to take what I have taught you and remind you about it. And he is going to bring conviction. He's going to convict the, the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's his job. He's got three areas to attack. And those three areas are essential. And Jesus Christ says in chapter 7, and finally, he says, look, you know, you've got to be poor in spirit. Righteousness only counts if they're done from the heart for the right reasons. First Corinthians 13, Paul reiterates it. He brings us to that point. He says, look, I can even get my body to be burned. If I don't do it with love, it's worthless. Again, I say, God is all about the heart. Where is your heart? What are you doing? And are you doing it with love? Because all of us know stuff can be done. For us. There's no love behind it. it just, it's just not the same. You know. And, and, and we can get a real nice fancy Father's Day gift. Um, wrapped up and sitting there on the table waiting for us. And it's like, oh, that's, that's really nice. Wow, you really spent a lot of money on this, you know. But any one of us would kill for one of our kids to come stumbling into the bedroom with a cup of coffee in the morning and, you know, just happy Father's Day, Daddy. You know, that, there's a whole lot more in that because of the love that it's coming from, you know. And, and God's the same way. He's looking a whole lot more into our hearts, looking for us to do just anything to please Him, as long as it's about pleasing Him and not scoring the points and getting the big payoff for looking all spiritual and whatnot. And so he brings us to verse 7, and again, says what lip service, uh, lip service is useless. What matters is obedience. Why? <clears throat> because the enemy's tactics, and we're not ignorant of them, 2 Corinthians 2 tells us in verse 11 that we are aware of Satan's tactics. He wants to throw us off just a little bit. In Genesis chapter 3, he says to, the, to, to Eve, he says, did, did God really say that? Is that what he really means? See, he's not blatantly contradicting God. He just wants to veer off path just a little bit. Did the same thing with the temptation of Jesus. You know, it is written, quoting scripture even, but just a little shy of true interpretation, just enough to be able to throw him off his game. And Christ responded accurately with, with the right intent and the right scripture. And so we know that what he's coming after is, is to just bring us a little bit off track to where we're not doing it for our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Message of the kingdom. What is it about? First of all, it's true holiness. 
1 Peter 1.16 says, Be ye holy for no other good reason than because I am. You don't have to be holy to impress your neighbors or your elders or your family. Don't be holy just because it's going to get some people saved and get them into the kingdom. No, be holy for I am holy. And that's, not, that's all the reason we need. Just do it because he asked us to, and that's his nature. The message of the kingdom is also about doing things from the heart, the works that have been prepared for us, understanding our vocation. Back to the verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we need to walk worthy of the vocation where, with which we have been called. What was that vocation? We've been saved by grace, through faith, that not of yourselves, of the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Why? For we have been called unto good works. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared for those who seek him. That's our purpose. That's our vocation, our calling. Good works should be an outcome. But they're done from the heart because we have been participants of his grace. And therefore, we come to the true submission of the Father from the heart, and we need to counteract the precepts taught by men. And so Paul tells the Romans in chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conform to this world. Don't let this world tell you how to think. If you're going to please me, you're going to think the way I think, and that has to happen by a transforming of our minds. The renewal of your minds by the Holy Spirit, changing the way we understand and see God and his purposes. We are a merit-based society. We have been born into a merit-based system. We are taught to compete and to challenge and to try and one-up each other, okay? God says, look, there's only one way in to my heart, in my kingdom, and that's to love me. Whatever you do has to be because you love me. And anything you achieve has to be done by my spirit working through you because you love me, and so that then can bring us to chapter 7. And he gives us this image of two men. One builds his house on the rock and the other the sand. And we all sang the songs and heard the story in Sunday school, you know. We build on the rock and the rock stands firm. And the other doofus, he builds on the sand. And what happens when the rain comes and the storm, you know, whatever, what happens to the, to the house goes splat because... He was building on the sand. Now, what is the caveat there? What is the foundational principle, the difference between the rock and the sand? Is it doctrinal understanding of the scripture? Is it clarity and understanding God's will for our lives? No. What's the difference between the rock and the sand? He who hears my word and... What? He who hears my word and... Does it? Otherwise, says James, you're just like that dude that walks up to a mirror, sees a dirty face, turns around, walks away. Doesn't do anything about it. Jesus says, look, you have a choice. In the kingdom, you only have one choice. It's my will or yours. It's obedience or disobedience. It's black or white, two sides of the coin. There's me and there's you. 
which are you going to choose? And today, you have that choice. You can choose. The temptations of Christ, reflected in the three dangers presented to us by, in 1 John 2.17, are reflected once again in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the same three principles. Paul urges Timothy in his metaphors there uh, to avoid those dangers in the same way we have the, the picture of the farmer, we have a picture of the soldier, we have a picture of the athlete. Each one of those areas uh, relates to one of the areas of ourselves, whether it be the body, soul, or spirit, and the way that sin attacks each one of those areas and the inherent dangers in them. And so the three principles of the kingdom, don't live to fulfill desire. Don't live by your appetites. Don't gauge what you want by what you see. And he teaches that in chapter 6. He says, don't make it all about what you want, your fleshly desire. He says, you should want to please me. Second is, don't prioritize stuff. Don't store up stuff where <clears throat> moth and, and, and uh, robbers enter and steal and moth and rust corrupt. He says, don't store up stuff. That's, you know, the... the the lust of the eyes, we, you know, the, we like stuff. <laughs> I don't know how other a way to describe it, but things get shiny and, and sparkly, and, and we want more. And sometimes we get caught up, even over a lifetime. We just want more stuff. He says, that's not going to work in the kingdom. Don't make that a priority, because then you'll begin to make decisions based on it. Hey, can you teach that? Oh, I'm sorry, I got to work overtime. I got, you know, I got that big screen TV to pay off, and I can't really help you on Saturday afternoon with the youth because, you know, and it starts playing out. It starts affecting our kingdom life because we kind of get off track and we start, you know, working for stuff or working for our desires. And then the other issue, of course, is the most fundamental: our pride. And we begin to live our lives based on our accolades, based on our recognition, based on what is really going to be seen when people look at us. And so we need to be careful that we don't allow these things to, to become incumbent in our life in the kingdom. He needs to be king, and we need to be poor in spirit. He needs to be the one calling the shots. We need to be the one surrendering. He needs to be the one ordering our steps every day, ordering our path. We need to be the one following in his footsteps. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things, and he is so absolute. Every one of the kingdom commands in these three chapters are absolute. He doesn't mess around. It's everything or nothing. You know, <clears throat> turn the other cheek. Give him also your coat. Go the extra mile. All these are principles that have to be absolute. There's no, you know, let's, let's see if we can bargain our way. Maybe how about 50-50 for these five years and, and then, you know, 70-30 for the next five. And God said, no, 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 don't mess around. <laughs> don't waste my time. Uh, come to me when you're ready to submit. And when you're ready to sum surrender, then we can talk kingdom. And God can say, all right, I am ready to move through you. Uh, we tend to specialize. You know, we, we, over history, have 
tend to look to someone that we can put in charge of that. Oh, uh, oh yeah, I got a guy. He can do Sunday school. He's real good at it. You know, and, and so I'll tell you what, um, I'll, I'll keep working and I'll just give you money to pay him to do. Um, God says, you know, that doesn't work for me. There are things that I need you to do because you're the only one that can do it because I'm waiting for you to glorify me and nobody else can replace that. You know, it's not good enough how many times we tell our kids, hey, Alex, <clears throat> um, please take out the trash. So Chaz jumps and says, Daddy, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. No, 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 no. No, this is something I want him to do. See, you, you've been covering for him all week. Now, you've been jumping in. I don't know what you guys got going on, but I'm not interested in your obedience right now. I'm interested in his. And so, see, there's a selective process where God the Father looks to us and says, look, no, no, it, it's not just good enough to pawn this off on somebody else. I need you today to react to my word. And so, once again, here we are, Saturday afternoon in Claremont, California, and we are each faced with a decision. We know exactly what God is trying to tell us. Probably it's not the first time we've heard about it. You know, there's probably something eating away. God's been poking around at you. He's been trying to get through, and once again, uh, he's making it clear. And um, why not just be poor in spirit? Say, okay, Lord, I'm willing. Let's do this. I was 18 years old at a South Florida Missionary Study Class, Hollywood, Florida, <clears throat> when I was 18, many years ago, many, many years ago. And uh, that was it. I, I, I knew it was coming. I was sure that it was going to happen, just hadn't pulled the trigger yet. So I walked out of that conference about 4 o'clock that afternoon, broke up with my girlfriend and said, um, I'm through with the distractions. I, uh, I am going to serve the Lord. So decisions from here on out are on out of my hands. And I picked you, I, you know, picked dating you because I wanted to. It wasn't something God told me to do from here on out. It's his life. It's not mine. So um, I'm off to do whatever he wants for me to do. I knew it. It was a separate path. It was a separate life. And I'm so thankful that he has um, been willing to uh, redirect me over all these years every time I've gotten off track. And uh, he's been faithful, and I thank him for it. And trust me, it, it's, it's a lot easier. I can attest to over the years, it's a lot easier to just surrender than it is to argue. He doesn't lose arguments. He doesn't lose the fight. <clears throat> if you belong to him, he will bend your knees at some point. And the stiffer we make them, the harder the two by four has to hit to break them. Uh, but it will happen. So my suggestion, just, just don't fight it anymore. Just give in. Let him work in your heart and your life. Do whatever he wants to do. It's a whole lot easier. And uh, it glorifies him. And that's what it should be all about. So let us glorify him together from here on out. And I'm not guaranteeing that tomorrow we don't make a big mistake, wrong turn, that's okay. God knows how to deal with that. He sent his son to the cross to provide the grace to deal with that. That shouldn't be an issue. Well, the issue is our objections and uh, our own will. So let's put it in his hand.
for his glory. And thank you very much for your attention.